Little honeybees flying around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table, butter beans, peas, beets, and chard, chickens running in the yard, catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop in black gang candy stripes. Look at 'em loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee Farm Table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table, a show that is dedicated to the people of our Appalachian region who produce, prepare, and preserve our local foods and agricultural products. This is your hostess, Amy Campbell. Our theme song was graciously sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee. We are so proud of this talented Tennessean. Today, we are setting the table with a native Appalachian fruit, the persimmon. My guests are Charlie Quitt, professor of biology at the University of Tennessee, and Mary Constantine with a persimmon bread recipe that she got from writer Morgan Simmons. Morgan has written for the Knoxville News Sentinel for as long as I can remember on the outdoors, and I'd venture a guess that Morgan's wife, Ruth, of the singing group The Hominy Mamas from Norris, Tennessee, has made this bread a time or two for their family. Crystal Wilson of Rockford, Tennessee, shares old mountain lady wisdom on predicting our upcoming winter weather by the germ of the persimmon seed. Fred Sossman shares a potluck radio segment about the Kentucky Soda Pop L81. And also, I'll share a recipe for persimmon pie that comes from the Loveless Cafe right outside of Nashville. Thank you so much for your good company here today at our Tennessee table. I really appreciate you tuning in to the podcast or the radio show. All right, let's get to it right now. Persimmon, a native fruit to our Appalachian region and a great source of food for our wild critters, just a little wild orange fruit with big seeds, and you don't want to eat one that's not ripe. You know that they are ripe when they have that beautiful orange fall color and they're soft to the touch. Generally, they fall off the tree when they're ready, but you have to catch them quick before the ants and the critters get to them. Right now, they're falling ripe onto the ground from the trees all around us. Our first guest on the topic of persimmons, for a biological perspective, is Professor of Biology Charlie Quitt from the University of Tennessee. So here's Charlie right now. Well, um, Charlie Quitt is who we're sitting here talking with today. And Charlie, you are working here at University of Tennessee. What do you do? So, yeah, I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Forestry, Wildlife, and Fisheries. And in that capacity, my expertise is in the area of plant-animal interactions or wildlife-plant interactions. 
as part of that, I work with and I teach courses on wildlife plant interactions. I teach a wildlife vegetation course, which I'm currently doing this fall. And we're actually on to mammals, and we're about to start talking about fleshy fruits like persimmons and pawpaws, among other things that our local mammal populations love. Uh, so I'm, I'm a wildlife plant interactions person. So a persimmon, it's, it's, I think, you and I thinking about it in food terms, it's a fruit. And so persimmons are, uh, they're fruits. We have one native persimmon species here in East Tennessee. It's fruit for mammals, but when we think of it as food, it's a, it's a type of fruit that humans have been consuming for quite a number of years, centuries. The history of that, if my memory is right, goes back to it arriving here as a cultivar for fruit consumption by humans from China via Japan in the 1850s in California. And so the U.S. has not delved into eating persimmons, humans that is, the, of European ancestry, uh, until after the 1850s. Oh. And those are mainly the, the Asian cultivars of persimmons. Okay. Are, so they're not native to this country? Those this area. Are, are, are fruits that we typically have been eating mm-hmm. are, are more Asian cultivars yes. as opposed to more recently there has been an interest in our own native persimmon here, mm-hmm. which goes by the name of Diosporus virginiana. And that particular species has become the subject of interest. And so there are plenty of cultivars of that species that are better than others or better than your ordinary wild persimmon that people are starting to become more and more familiar with over here. Well, I'm used to them by seeing around fence posts or fence lines and stuff like that. That's true. And that's probably because the animals that are moving the seeds in those places like to be in areas where there may be a little bit of cover Mm-hmm. They're pretty big fruits for a bird to disperse the seeds of, so you don't have a ton of that going on. But our mammals really like persimmon, and so they'll they'll move them from place to place, and oftentimes they'll wind up in hedgerows and do pretty well there. What are the main mammals that eat them? Just about any kind of mammal around here will really enjoy the fruits and of the of that species, and so anything from raccoons to opossums to black bear in Great Smoky Mountains National Park and elsewhere, foxes, coyotes. I'm probably forgetting a few important mammals, but just about any mammal that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that runs across these fruits, primarily that have fallen from the tree mm-hmm. onto the ground, is, uh, is pretty much going to go ahead and have a little meal. <laughs> and then later on, that meal will then, they probably won't damage those seeds very much. And those somewhat large seeds will get passed uh, at some time, somewhat soon thereafter. Okay. Okay, and where do you find them in this area? So you can find persimmons in all kinds of forested areas. They're a tree that you can also find in disturbed areas as well. They might go up to a certain elevation in the Smokies and not not get up into the upper areas of the 
upland hardwood forests and they won't be up in the spruce fir forests or things like that but just many elevations around here they tend to be in opener areas well-drained soils but they're capable of growing in most places and it's not surprising we have them in our suburban landscape as well they're in my neighborhood and they're doing just fine (laughs) (laughs) well and you brought a couple in a bag today i did and they're a little (laughs) they're a little worse for the wear but i think the animals would still enjoy eating them if i were to put these these things out yeah out for them it looks like a couple of little wads of apricot jam or something well that looks like that is that's a good analogy there and um it, that brings me to thinking about what what do we do with these things I, uh, yeah. as humans we've been consuming the fruits and doing all kinds of of, uh, of things and recipes with them I actually I'm this fall I'm going to try to do something with persimmons I've never cooked with them before or made anything with persimmons but uh, but I imagine that anything that would have apricot in a recipe mm-hmm. you go ahead put something like persimmon in instead Mm -hmm. i'm envisioning a chutney of some kind that i could do with persimmon so yeah absolutely what is their season and how do you tell if they're ready to eat okay that's a great question the season and by that i'm going to take that as the fruiting season they do have to flower beforehand uh and being a dioecious species here in the u.s our persimmon has, for the most part, separate male and female plants. So our fruiting plants are our females, and for those plants to bear fruit, there has to be a male tree somewhere that's providing the pollen that's going to be uh, instrumental in having all that stuff work. And so the fruiting season, and how do we know that? There may have been some orange fruits in those trees a couple weeks back, but they had not started falling from the trees yet. And the animals, for the most part, are eating these fruits off the ground. And those fruits are dropping. That's an indication that these are just about ready. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because one does not want to bite into a not-ready persimmon. Really? What's it like? It's not a good experience. Your <laughs> your mouth will shrivel up inwards to try to get rid of that uh, stringent taste. So, yeah. Persimmons do have a very characteristic bark on them when yes. they when they are old enough to exhibit that. They have to get to be a few years in age before they start really really having that noticeable bark. That blocky appearance in the bark is mm-hmm. something that you get to know pretty quickly once you start looking for it. Charlie Quit. He's talking about persimmons with us today, and my goodness, I really thank you. Well, thank you for having me. And you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. Our topic today is the native Appalachian tree and fruit, the persimmon. We've just heard from Charlie Quit professor of biology at the University of Tennessee with a clinical perspective of the persimmon. And here's a recipe for persimmon pie that comes from the Loveless Cafe outside of Nashville, Tennessee. I've also posted this recipe on my website if you'd like to make a copy of it. Persimmon pie from the Loveless Cafe. 
This makes one 9-inch pie serve 6 to 8. The ingredients, 9-inch pie shell partially baked, 1 cup persimmon puree, about 4 cups of our small southern persimmons, or 4 to 6 Italian or Japanese persimmons that you can find in the grocery store, 2 thirds cup packed dark brown sugar, 3 fourth teaspoon ground cinnamon, 1 half teaspoon freshly grated nutmeg, 2 eggs, 1 half cup heavy cream, and optional whipped cream. So here are the directions. Preheat the oven to 350. Place the pie shell on a sturdy baking sheet and set aside. In a mixing bowl, whisk the persimmon puree, brown sugar, cinnamon, and nutmeg together. Whisk in the eggs one at a time and then the heavy cream. Pour that persimmon filling into the pie shell and bake for 30 minutes or until just set. Let the pie cool completely before cutting and serve plain or with a dollop of homemade whipped cream. And again, this persimmon pie recipe comes from the Loveless Cafe. I've also posted this recipe on my website if you'd like to make a copy of it. TennesseeFarmTable.com Up next is Crystal Wilson. Crystal Wilson shares her old-time mountain ways, and today she's going to let us know an old mountain way of predicting winter weather by slicing lengthwise the seed of the persimmon and observing the shape of the germ of the seed. How about persimmon trees? Oh, mercy. Or persimmon seeds. So, Have you heard of yes, that? Yes. Uh, see, the persimmon is uh, when you crack it open, and really it does look like these things. If it looks like a fork, mm-hmm. it's going to be a mild winter. Mm-hmm. If it's a spoon, it is heavy snow. Ooh. If it's a knife, it's ice. On my website, Tennessee Farm Table, I made some illustrations of persimmons, the germ in the seed, and the three type of shapes to be looking for. Coming up is our friend Mary Constantine. She's going to share with us a recipe for persimmon bread. And now it is in the kitchen with a happily retired former food editor for the Knoxville News Sentinel, Mary D.D. Constantine. I'm blessed to have a lot of knowledgeable colleagues, with Morgan Simmons, the New Sentinel's environmental writer, being one of them. I wanted to talk about persimmons today because they're in season. So I asked Morgan what he knew about the fruit. He told me that the tree grows at the lower to mid elevations and that the fruit ripens from October into November. He shared with me the many times he had taken his young children to a patch of persimmon trees near Norris Dam. He said they would go early in the morning to gather the fruit in hopes of beating the wildlife to the harvest. It's an important late season food source for them and once the deer and other critters discovered the tree, there could be little left on the ground to gather. In fact, Simmons said that if that was the case, 
He would shake the tree because the ripest of the fruit would fall from the branches and then the children would gather what had fallen. And he also said, you'll definitely know if you bite into an unripened persimmon because it has a terrible astringent flavor. Morgan has a favorite persimmon bread recipe that he shared with me. He found it in Bill Gilbert's book, Our Nature. And I'm going to read the recipe as Gilbert wrote it. Mash up the persimmons and strain out the seeds and skin. Get at least two cups of the pulp. Mix up three-fourths pounds of butter with two cups of honey and three jiggers of maple syrup. Someplace else, mix four cups of flour, four eggs, and a tablespoon of baking soda. Then put those two batches together and add the two cups of persimmon pulp and a cup or so of chopped walnuts. Stir some more. Put the batter in greased cake pans and bake for an hour at about 325 degrees. While baking, it turns a deep, rich chocolate color. The finished loaves are a bit stiffer than pudding, but juicier than a cake. The loaves can be frozen. Now, who's ready to go out and find a persimmon tree? I think I am. This is Mary Constantine with the Tennessee Farm Table. If you're a person who might want to plant persimmon trees at your place and you don't have any that have come up wild, and a reliable and well-established business who deals with these that I know of is Avi Askey, who owns Overhill Gardens in Monroe County, Tennessee. They have propagated, saved, sold, and installed native Tennessee plant and tree species for the past 20 years. Overhill Gardens does not sponsor this show or anything. They just offer good products, and I know that they're guaranteed. And I'm a fan of what they do because they help to promote our indigenous Tennessee species of plants and trees. So I just like to let people know about them. And just a note, Overhill Gardens does not advertise on this program. Now let's join our friend Fred Sossman from Johnson City, Tennessee. This is Potluck Radio. I'm Fred Sossman. At a bottling plant in Winchester, Kentucky, the formula for a ginger-flavored beverage has been a family secret for 92 years. When Ale 81 was invented in 1926 by George Lee Wainscott, his company had already been in business for 24 years, making a cola that attempted to compete with the big boys in the market. Unable to come up with a name he liked for his new drink, Wainscott asked for ideas at the Clark County Fair. Fielding Rogers, who runs the company today, is Wainscott's great-great-nephew. The winning entry was from a young girl who submitted a late one as the latest thing in soft drinks. And he punned that down to the play on words ale-8-1. Ale-8-1 is flavored with natural ginger. In the 1920s, Wayne Scott traveled all over northern Europe, where he acquired ginger-blended recipes for experimentation. Usually I describe it as like a ginger ale, but with a lot more flavor. The AL81 website lists stores throughout eastern Kentucky where customers can get money back for their returnable glass bottles. 
The returnable bottle still makes up about a quarter of our sales. The, the customers really like the bottle. There's a 30 cent deposit on the bottle. A lot of people will, will swear that the returnable is the best tasting analyte. The returnable bottle and the non-returnable bottle are made by the same company with the same glass, filled with the same machinery, so I, I think they taste just the same. We take a lot of pride in the quality of the analyte we produce, uh, so we have a very, very strict uh, quality control procedure on all of our products. AL81 is the only soft drink invented in Kentucky that is still in existence. For Potluck Radio, I'm Fred Sausman. Hey, this is Tim Chambers from Chai View Farms, and you're listening to Tennessee Farm Tables. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee, for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.